welcome to Have Hope Will Travel. I'm your host, Katie Axelson. And wow, if your social media has looked like mine lately, we are all a little reflective as we've just passed the one-year mark of the pandemic. Remember when we used to put on makeup and wear hard pants? Remember when we could hug people and have big parties and travel? Remember when President Trump said the country would be open again by Easter? Yeah, Easter which year, we're not currently sure. Because here we are, Holy Week 2021, and I know it's really hard to believe. I think Christmas was like 10 minutes ago. And a lot of us are still working from home. We're still wearing masks. We're still waiting for our turn to be vaccinated. Easter 2021 is just looking a lot like Easter 2020 more than Easter 2019. For Easter 2020, my parents and I were at their cabin in the mountains. And our neighborhood brought in a food truck. And we all social distance at the pavilion with some good southern barbecue takeout. Southern barbecue. Is there any other kind of barbecue? This was the good stuff. The woman who hosted the event made wooden bunnies painted with little masks over where their nose and mouth were supposed to be so that she had a way to remember the pandemic Easter. And I stopped to take a picture of them because I thought they were cute. And she, in her generosity, gave me one. I, of course, accepted it. And then I took it home and said, what on earth am I going to do with this? I think the little bunny still lives at the cabin. But I kind of need a little bunny with a mask this year since we are still celebrating Easter in masks. But it's Holy Week. Can you believe it? I am having a hard time believing it. But it's Holy Week. This is one of my favorite weeks of the year. Because growing up, it felt like we were at church every day, all week of Holy Week. That's not actually true. It was like three or four days. But... It felt like it was every day. And here we are still largely without the option to go to church every day. Or at least without having the Easter dinner like we're used to. Everything is different. Still. Everything is still different. Holidays have this way about them. They're anchors in the midst of an ever-changing world. Traditions come every year. Perhaps modified, but always remembered. They're the ground when things can feel out of control. They're the space to mourn when life isn't quite right. Sometimes they're reminders that things will never be the same again. A lot has changed over the last year. And also a lot has remained the same. I have a masked wooden bunny to prove it. So as we approach Easter this year, a different kind of Easter, again, how can we again make this year unique? How do we make space for God to teach us something new, something beautiful, something we never would have noticed if we hadn't spent two Easters safe at home? Last year, I wrote a workbook for Holy Week. I did update it for 2021, and it's still available for free at katieaxelson.com if you want to follow along. But I will warn you, the last week of Jesus's life is a little bit of an emotional roller coaster. The crowds hailing him as a king as he entered the city on Sunday were shouting for his death by Friday. The same Peter who promised he would die before he would deny Jesus denied Jesus three times before Jesus died the following morning. One of the same men who served the First Communion betrayed Jesus for some money that same night. Communion! Remember when that was a thing? I think it's been a year since I've taken Communion. 
I don't drink alone and living alone during a pandemic means there's not even an open bottle of wine sitting on my kitchen counter for me to serve myself communion. There are a lot of things we could talk about today. But I want to talk about Christ crucified. To quote Paul, I want to preach Christ crucified. And not just crucified, but also resurrected. And not just a man raised from the dead, but also a man who felt an agony that we can never feel, that we can never understand. And that's by design. He felt it in our place. Yet there are some parts of his story that sure feel like our story at times. Jesus said seven things on the cross. Seven. The number of perfection. The number of completion. Jesus said, beginning in Matthew, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's Matthew 27, 46, and it's Mark 15, 34. Number two, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Luke 23, 34. Number three, I tell you the truth, today you'll be with me in paradise. Luke 23, 43. Four, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Luke 23, 46. Five, woman, this is your son. This is your mother. John 19, 26 and 27. Six, I am thirsty. John 19, 28. Number seven, classically, it is finished. John 19, 30. There's seven different things, but only one of them is recorded in more than one book. Why is that? Because we're all going to tell the story differently. Just like everyone who experienced Jesus tells their story a little bit differently. We have four different perspectives on the same story. Four different gospel writers, some of whom knew Jesus intimately, some of whom only did their research and collected to be able to share his story. If you and I go on vacation together, if that were actually allowed, we would come home with different retellings of the same story. We would have noticed different things. We would laugh at different things. One of us may have missed something. Somebody else may have heard somebody say something different. The story is going to be slightly different, even though we were on vacation together. Or how about this, for a little bit more graphic example. A couple years ago, a friend and I witnessed a car accident in Kansas City. She was driving my car, and I had resolved the point of we're going to be in this accident. It was only by the grace of God that we weren't. But as soon as it was safe to do so, we pulled over to the side of the road. I called 911. Well, actually, I typed 911 in my phone as if it was the passcode several times before I recognized that was not working. And then we stopped, and we sat there for a second and tried to figure out what just happened. Another driver had seen the accident in their rearview mirror. She came over to talk to us and was like, what did you see? As the passenger, I had a pretty good guess at what had happened. And then my friend who was driving the car said, did you hear their screams? No, I, I didn't hear any anything, actually. She heard them screaming while I was too busy trying to count how many times the car flipped. We were in the same car. We witnessed the same car accident, and our story was just slightly different because we had different perspectives. 
we prioritize noticing different things. So when you read the Gospels, don't be surprised that you hear a slightly different perspective. And of these seven things, that one thing that both according to Matthew and Mark is the only thing Jesus said on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These aren't Jesus' own words. They're actually the words of David. They're actually the words of Psalm 22. So as we sit here in Easter in the pandemic, round two, we know those words. We've all probably said them at some point in the last year or so. We've all cried out in desperation. So I want to read them today. But I want to read them as Jesus would have read them. I said that to one of my friends and he said, Katie, you're going to read the Hebrew on your podcast? Um, no. Mostly because I don't expect you to learn Hebrew in the next 10 seconds. And mostly because I didn't learn Hebrew 10 seconds ago. But I want to read Psalm 22 from the complete Jewish Bible. So it might sound a little bit different. But I want you to remember. I want you to hear this the way a Jew would have heard it. Of course, the English version. Jesus is just quoting it. And what Jesus does in quoting the first reference of this psalm, he's calling it to mind for every single one of his audience. So instead of reading the Bible backwards and reading these just as Jesus' words, let's read them as David's words. And remember that Jesus borrowed David's words on the cross. Could there be any higher honor? So Psalm 22 in the complete Jewish Bible. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far from helping me? So far from my anguished cries. It's as if David's saying, God, why do you feel so far away? And let's also notice that this is one of the only times, if not the only time, when Jesus talks to God and doesn't call him some variation of my father. He references God as Lord, but this is the only time he's talking to him directly which means he really wants his audience to know this is what he's quoting. And as we hear him quote this, we've all been there. We've all said some variation of this point in the last year, perhaps more than once. Perhaps it's become a regular phrase in our vocabulary. The next verse. My God, by day I call to you, but you do not answer. Likewise at night, but I get no relief. Yeah, that resonates. Nevertheless, you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted you, and you rescued them. They cried to you and escaped. They trusted in you and were not disappointed. David's groping desperately for what he knows to be true. If you're not in the habit of doing this, it's a pretty powerful practice. When you're in a dark place, call out what you know to be true. Or what scripture says to be true, even if you can't really believe it right now. When darkness comes, 
don't doubt what God has taught you in the light. Preach it to yourself. Remind yourself of what you knew to be true at one point and what you will know to be true again. David's remembering God's faithfulness. David's remembering what God has done before as a way to encourage himself because he can't see God's faithfulness today. They cried to you and escaped. They trusted in you and were not disappointed. But I am a worm, not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. David's feeling worthlessness. And because Jesus also quoted this, let's recognize that the word for worm here is the word talking about the worm that was used in textiles. Because when this particular worm is crushed, it gushes crimson. Yeah, I know a man who was crushed, who gushed crimson. And I know that these words came to mind for him as his crimson blood ran down the cross. I don't know if that's exactly what David's referencing here, but it sure is powerful to pause and to look at it. All who see me jeer at me. They sneer, sneer, that's not a word, they sneer and shake their heads. He committed himself to Adonai, so let him rescue him. Let him set him free if he takes such delight in him. Huh, that sounds awfully familiar. I think those words were sneered at Jesus on the cross. But you are the one who took me from the womb. You made me trust when I was on my mother's breast. Since my birth, I've been thrown on you. You are my God from my mother's womb. Don't stay far from me, for trouble is near. There is no one to help me. Many bulls surround me. Wild bulls of Bashan close in on me. Bashan is known for producing good, strong cattle. And I know that dairy cows are the ones from Wisconsin, but that's the kind of reference that David is making here. Everyone would have known these aren't just ordinary cows. These are strong bulls. They open their mouths wide against me, like ravaging, roaring lions. This is a big threat. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart has become like wax. It melts inside me. Let's just acknowledge that this is incredibly vivid graphic imagery to be reading a year into a pandemic. Yes, I know. I did warn you. My mouth is as dry as a fragment of a pot. That's like a flower pot. I don't know what kind of pot you were thinking of. My tongue sticks to the palate. You lay me down in the dust of death. Can we just appreciate for a moment that Jesus, the living water, was thirsty? That David, the man after God's own heart, was thirsty. Physical and metaphorical thirst were in good company. Dogs are all around me. A pack of villains closes in on me. Like a lion at my hands and feet. Friends, do you know what other translations say for this verse? Including the Jewish Publication Society. I almost read that one instead, except that one includes a lot more thou's that I figured we would trip over. That one says, 
the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Hmm, I wonder why Jesus chose this psalm to reference out of all of his hundred plus options. I can count every one of my bones. Yeah, and for Jesus, not a single one of them is broken. While they gaze at me and gloat. They divide my garments amongst themselves. For my clothing, they throw dice. Yeah, that happened to Jesus too, John 19. But you, Adonai, don't stay far away. My strength come quickly to help me. Rescue me from the sword. My life from the power of the dogs. Save me from the lion's mouth. Do you hear the desperation David's crying out with? Does this resonate all the more, knowing that Jesus referenced it on the cross? Does some of it feel very familiar right now? You have answered me from the wild bull's horns. I will proclaim your name to my kinsmen. Right there in the assembly I will praise you. You who fear Adonai, praise him. All descendants of Jacob, glorify him. All descendants of Israel stand in awe of him. David's publicly vowing to praise God. Jesus publicly offered forgiveness to his oppressors. Even in the midst of all that's going on, these men are saying, yet still I choose to praise you, God. Yet still I choose to praise you. For he has not despised or abhorned the poverty of the poor. He did not hide his face from him, but listened to his cry. Because of you, I give praise in the great assembly. I will fulfill my vows in the sight of those who fear him. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek Adonai will praise him. Your hearts will enjoy life forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to Adonai. All the clans of the nations will worship in your presence. For the kingdom belongs to Adonai. He rules the nations. This is a call to worship for all nations of all times, regardless of what's going on. And I think we fit in that category. All who prosper on earth will eat and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him, including him who can't keep himself alive. A descendant will serve him. The next generation will be told of Adonai. They will come and proclaim his righteousness to the people yet unborn, that he is the one who did it. Wow. If these are the words David cried in desperation, if these are the words that Jesus cried on the cross, then in the midst of a pandemic, as my city fights for justice, I can't help but also say, so will I. Every one of David's Psalms of Lament end in praise. Every time David is crying out to God in desperation, he ends his desperation with a praise of God. Things look different when you can turn your perspective to praise. We know Jesus' story doesn't end with the words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We know how long the Saturday between Good Friday and Easter Sunday can be. 
We've been living in a year of Saturday, as Facebook is so kindly reminding us. But we also know that Sunday is coming. That hope is in the air. There's this thing that happens in Minnesota, and I'm sure it happens in other places too. When the temperature finally warms up to the mid-30s, people come out again. It's like we all hibernate for winter and then reappear once the temperature creeps above freezing. The trails, the tennis courts, they're all packed with people in March. Windows are open and we're airing out the house for the first time in six months. Hope is in the air. For me personally, I was eligible to get my first dose of the vaccine this week. Hope is in the air. Sunday is coming. And we know how the story ends. On the first day of the week, as the Sabbath was ending, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jacob, and Salome made their way to the tomb. It was very early in the morning, as the first streaks of light were beginning to be seen in the sky. They had purchased aromatic embalming spices so that they may anoint his body. And they had been asking one another, who can roll away the heavy stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? But when they arrived, they discovered that the very large stone that had sealed the tomb was already rolled away. And as they stepped into the tomb, they saw a young man sitting to the right, dressed in a long white robe. The women were startled and amazed. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I know that you're here looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He isn't here. He has risen victoriously. Look. See the place where they laid him. Run and tell his disciples, even Peter, that he is risen. He has gone ahead of you into Galilee, and you will see him there, just as he told you. They staggered out of the tomb, awestruck, with their minds swirling. They ran to tell the disciples, but they were so afraid, and deep in wonder, they said nothing to anyone. That's the first eight verses of Mark 16 in the Passion Translation. It's actually the original ending to the Gospel of Mark. And I can't help but wonder, what would life look like if that's where the story ended? If the angel told them to go tell the disciples and Peter, and that Jesus was going ahead of them into Galilee, Jesus had already told them that, by the way. Jesus had already said, I'm going into Galilee, I'll meet you there. But the women left, afraid, and they said nothing to anyone. That thought haunts me. What if I choose to say nothing to anyone? What if I only include the, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And choose not to include the reminders of God's glory, the reminders of his goodness, the reminders of his love, and the trust that I've placed in God. What if that's where the story ends? You know what? Even if that's where the story ends, God is a God of damage control. And Jesus appears to more people, so that more people know, even if the women aren't the ones to tell him. Early on the first day of the week, after rising from the dead, Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene, 
from whom he had cast out seven demons. After she had seen Jesus, she ran to tell his disciples, who were all emotionally devastated and weeping. Excitedly, Mary told them, He is alive, and I have seen him. But even after hearing this, they didn't believe her. After this, Jesus appeared to two of the disciples, who were on their way to another village, appearing in a form they did not recognize. They went back to Jerusalem to tell the rest of the disciples, but they didn't believe it was true. Then Jesus appeared before the eleven apostles as they were eating a meal. He corrected them for having such hard, unbelieving hearts, because they did not believe those who saw him after his resurrection. And he said to them, As you go into the world, preach openly the wonderful news of the gospel to the entire human race. Whoever believes the good news and is baptized will be saved, and whoever does not believe the good news will be condemned. And these miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will drive out demons in the power of my name. They will speak in tongues. They will be supernaturally protected from snakes and from drinking anything poisonous. They will lay hands on the sick and heal them. After saying these things, Jesus was lifted up into heaven and sat down at the place of honor on the right hand of God. And the apostles went out, announcing the good news everywhere, as the Lord himself consistently worked with them, validating the message they preached with miraculous signs that accompanied them. The End Spring is in the air. Hope is in the air. Everything changes now. One of my former roommates and I used to get in debates about the best holiday. These were high-quality, intense debates. She was confident that the 4th of July was the best holiday. I am confident it is the worst holiday, mostly because I don't particularly care for my family's 4th of July traditions. The year I spent 4th of July with a different friend on her parents' lake was the best 4th of July I've ever had. Because as it turns out, Summer holidays are way better when water sports with motors are involved. Jet skis, tubing, boating. We watched fireworks from the middle of the lake. It was so beautiful. Anyway, back to the debate. She was pretty sure 4th of July was the best. 4th of July was the best holiday. I am pretty sure that Easter is the best holiday. She disagreed. She loves Jesus, but she disagreed with me. Because she said that on Easter... We focus too much on the cross and don't focus so much on the resurrection. And I think she has a point. I don't know if I agree with it, but I think she has a point. Because we need the cross in order to have the resurrection. We need the cross in order to know what was done in our place. It's a good old Lutheran joke, law and gospel. We need the law to know the beauty of the gospel. We need the death of Christ to understand the resurrection of Christ. We need the winter to fully appreciate the spring. I have some friends who live in California. My friends in Ecuador all say the same thing. It's like eternal spring. It's like eternal summer. You lose track of time because you don't have the changing of the seasons. And yeah, sure, it's gorgeous, especially when us here in Minnesota are boasting that it's um, a whole negative 15 degrees Fahrenheit. But there's something you miss when you live in eternal spring. 
You miss the changing of the seasons, the changing of the leaves, the new buds, the growth. Spring cannot exist without winter, at least not a spring that you truly appreciate. So as we move into Easter, as Jesus approaches the cross, let's remember that the only reason he went to the cross is so that we could come out with an empty tomb. The only reason he suffered on the cross is so that we don't have to. And the cross changes everything. It changes our perspective, even on situations like a man dead in a street and a bunny wearing a mask. The resurrection reminds us that there is hope. Even when we feel as desperate as David does in Psalm 22, even as we feel like we may somewhat be experiencing what Jesus experienced on the cross. Death doesn't get the final word. The resurrection gets the final word. I am alive because he is alive. I've been set free because of his death. It may be Saturday today, but Sunday morning is coming. It's coming sooner than we think. Because God says his mercies are new every morning. So it can be Sunday, today. Even if our circumstances aren't changing right now. Even if we're slowly moving towards a pandemic-free life. The resurrection wins. Jesus wins. Doubt and sorrow may come with the night, but joy comes in the morning. Joy comes in the morning. Hope is here, my friends. And even if you can't feel it or taste it or smell it, let me remind you of what we know to be true. That God is always good. That God is always love. God is always caring. And that this week, everything changes. From the cheers of celebration on Sunday to the cheers wanting death on Friday to the excitement of an empty tomb on Sunday again it's an emotional roller coaster but it ends victorious and if the season you're in right now doesn't feel like it's ending in victory it's not over I'm not going to say your circumstances are going to change death is still a very real part of life but God will get the glory and I don't know what that's going to look like I don't know what that's going to look like as we come out of the pandemic I don't know what that's going to look like as my city searches for justice for George Floyd I don't know what it looks like in a country where racism is so prevalent on so many different levels I don't know but I know that I have hope because of the resurrection. So like a cup of water for your thirsty lips, I'd like to offer you that same hope and remind you that the story isn't over on Friday and the story isn't over on Saturday and the story isn't even over on Sunday. It's just the next chapter. And the apostles went out announcing the good news everywhere. 
and the Lord himself consistently worked with them, validating the message they preached with miraculous signs that accompanied them. I don't know where you find yourself this Holy Week. It's an emotional roller coaster, and there's probably a scene here that resonates more than any of the rest of them. But Sunday's coming, my friends. Sunday's coming. Spring is coming. Hope is in the air. As always, thank you for journeying with me. It's a privilege to get to walk you through such hard seasons of life. To create space for others to share their stories safely. And to know that we are linking arms and all stepping closer to Jesus together. Maybe it'd be a good idea to share this episode with a friend. Say, hey, this is what the part of the Holy Week story that resonates for me right now. What resonates for you? And remind each other that Sunday is coming. We'll see you again in two weeks. We've got some fun guests coming to share a little bit about what it looks like for them to encounter God. So if you're in a season where you don't know where Sunday's coming... Join us in two weeks. You're not going to want to miss it. Be blessed, my friend. You are dearly loved.